A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard. It can move anywhere. Maven, concentrate on Sim. Give priority to the detectors and the navigation systems. There is a corridor. And the corridor is time. It surrounds all things. On display, I eventually had to go down to the cellar. That's the display department. With a torch. The lights were probably gone. So had the stairs. You are just number six. I am not a number. I am a person. Welcome to British Invaders, episode 432. This is the podcast all about British science fiction television, and this time we are talking about humans. This is Brian from Canada. And this is Eamon from England. Hello. This is a Channel 4 series that ran from 2015 to 2018 in three series, eight episodes each, about 45-minute episodes, and it explores a world much like our own, but where synthetic humans exist and are used as servants or tools by a very broad segment of the population. And we've got some classic sort of pure science fiction stuff to talk about and a show that's got lots to say about consciousness artificial intelligence about the way that humans would interact with synthetic robots or creatures that look exactly like us so there's lots to talk about with this show we're going to mention in a moment a little spoiler note but i'm going to give a content note first just to say that this show does depict some violence there is some sort of body horror stuff going on and there is at least one sexual assault that happens in the second episode of the first season, just to be aware of. Yes, there is some intense stuff in there from time to time. So as we say, in this show, human-like robots exist. They are widely known mostly as synths, is the name for them, and they are pretty remarkable creatures. Yes, they are very human-like, and they work as domestic servants or carers, and they do menial jobs and things like factory work, and they are even in some cases sex workers. So it's a wide variety of things, and we are introduced to this world through the Hawkins family, who are a pretty normal middle-class family, balancing the stresses of work and school and a very busy family life. And they decide to get some help around the house by buying a synth called Anita. And we see what their introduction to that character and that life is like. We will do indeed. We'll spend quite a bit of time with the Hawkins and with Anita. And we'll say that Anita is not necessarily a straightforward new model synth. For she may be hiding a previous existence. And I'll say she, but I'll just note that the, the show is actually quite interesting with pronouns. A lot of, of course, real humans refer to the synths as its, but how they develop and how they perhaps acquire their pronouns is interesting, or one of the many interesting things this show can do. Before we discuss it anymore, we wanted to give a little spoiler note, Brian. Yes, I think so. In this first half of our discussion, we will be spoiling some things from the first few episodes. We're not going to get into the later seasons just yet, but to get into what this show is really doing, we need to cover some things that you get in the middle of that first season. So we will be 
spoiling some things a little bit okay so some stuff from season one particularly yes i will also note in the setup of this that the synths have weird eyes they have these mostly these very intense green eyes and part of what that tells us is that the synths are so human-like in their appearance that they need to artificially make their their eyes look strange so people know who's a synth and who isn't and that's sort of an interesting part of the themes of this So we should get into the characters, and there are quite a lot of them. We won't get into every character that comes into play for the whole three seasons, but we'll start off with the Hawkins family, starting with Laura Hawkins, played by Catherine Parkinson, who you might remember from the IT crowd. She is a busy lawyer and a mother of three, struggling to keep up with work and home life, and rather resistant to the idea of synths, certainly to to start with. And over time, she will become more of a supporter and an advocate for synths. She goes on a very interesting development in the three series. Her husband, Joe Hawkins, played by Tom Goodman-Hill, you know, her husband, the father of the three kids, he is the one who's perhaps more at home because of Laura's job. And he's the one who sort of spots that they're having difficulties and they need some extra help around the house with all the household duties and looking after the kids. So he's the one who goes to the store and buys what he thinks is a brand new synth with no backstory at all. But as we've hinted at, you know, there may be more to uh, to that than meets the eye. Yes, that's right. And he's working as well. So it's two working parents and they're very busy and this is a way for them to, to get some help around the home. I'll also mention the three children, Maddie, played by Lucy Carolus, Toby, played by Theo Stevenson, and Sophie, played by Pixie Davis. Maddie is something of a computer hacker, increasingly more over time, or what they refer to as a headcracker, someone who hacks into synth code and modifies these synths in different ways. Toby is more a typical teenage boy who is struggling with life and growing up things and struggling with being attracted to Anita, the synth. Sophie, the youngest child, is pleased to have someone acting like a nanny who can help look after her and also someone to look up to. So she becomes quite attached to Anita over time. So you get things developing as you have a new character being introduced to the household. And the new character, of course, is the synth, Anita, played by Gemma Chan, has had two separate roles in two separate Marvel Cinematic Universe films and also appeared in the big smash hit Crazy Rich Asians, And she is the new synth character. And she appears to be, at first, the ideal home help. You know, she can do everything. She can cook. She can clean. She can order shopping. She can look after the kids. But she appears, as the episodes in the first season develop, to be also struggling in a way with this possible other personality, a pre-existing personality, possibly another synth known as Mia. And we'll find out more about that as the series progresses. Yes, so we get into what appear to be new synths that are not actually new and a variety of things like that. 
Leo Elster, played by Colin Morgan from Merlin, is the son of the creator of the synths, the original creator of the synths. And Leo is searching for some particular synths who may hold some clues to his father, David Elster's final project. His father is no longer alive, and Leo also has some secrets related to the synths and their creation and so on. So he's involved with sort of a different faction with some synths as well. And obviously we're outside the Hawkins household now, so we'll mention one more of the synths, a character called Niska, who's going to be very important over the three seasons, played by Emily Barrington. She is, at the start, a synth employed as a sex worker and it would appear that she's beginning to rebel against her programming and her employment she is another synth who appears to be acting in a strange way and will without giving too much away she will go on the run as we'll talk about in a moment. Yes, she is at times a mysterious character and quite a complex character who has a journey of her own. George Milliken, played by none other than the Oscar winner William Hurt. I guess the biggest science fiction uh, connection for William Hurt was the sci-fi miniseries of Dune, but very well uh, respected and established actor. So George Milliken is a retired AI researcher with some connections to the way that the synths were originally developed, but he is now struggling with possibly some dementia and with being dependent on this early model synth a synth called Odie. So that's just a sort of scattering of the, some of the initial cast. As you said, Brian, as the three seasons progress, lots of new characters will be introduced, both human and synth characters. Uh, but that's the sort of like our initial setting for season one, I guess. Yes, and there is a lot of development and new characters and so on. So obviously, if the synths functioned exactly as they were intended to do or exactly as they were programmed, to do and carried out the jobs as their human designers intended just went about doing household jobs or doing menial repetitive tasks uh, or whatever they'd been assigned to then I guess this wouldn't be much of a series we wouldn't have a story to follow so we have to sort of this is where we get into some of the spoilers from season one we have to say that some of the synths are becoming self-aware, let's say. They are developing some form of consciousness. They are beginning to struggle with their assigned jobs or roles. We see this in Mir and Niska, but also in other characters. Yes, it becomes clear that there are conscious synths who are much more human-like in the way that they think and the way that they behave. And Niska, we see, has walked away from this brothel where she was working. And in fact, she murders a client who is very aggressive and quite creepy. So I guess either murders or kills in self-defense. And that's sort of getting into some of the very beginnings of questions about the rights of synths and how they can be treated and so on. And then Leo is recruiting the sentient synths, the conscious synths, 
and searching for them and trying to deal with some medical issues and problems of his own. And then we have the, the Hawkins household where Anita is acting strangely and the humans are struggling with their relationships with, with how they relate to Anita and their curiosity wondering if Anita is behaving as a normal synth or not. And then, of course, on top of that, we've got a family. We've got the, you know, as we said, we've got the work-life balance that they've been struggling with. And Joe and Laura, the couple, are having some marital difficulties. And so it's perhaps not too surprising that Joe will at some point turn to Anita, the synth, for sort of some comfort and again, we get one of the interesting moments of how humans would re- react to having these apparently human-like synths in the home. Yeah, and this whole idea of having something that is very human-like, but considered property. So, you know, you can see what types of uh, questions and what types of allegory are starting to come up there. And of course, we've mentioned William Hurt's character, George Milliken, who is, because of his own health issues, he has been assigned a newer model caregiver synth, a very efficient model that's particularly involved with his care and is directly linked to his doctor and his medical records. But of course, as we've said, George is particularly dependent on this very old model synth called Odie, who he refuses to turn in for recycling. And again, we get this stuff about humans forming relationships with the synths and not wanting to treat them like a machine that you just upgrade when the old one is out of date. So there's some interesting stuff there. And I'm going to say there's lots of plot strands about the relationship between humans and synths that this series is going to weave together over three seasons. There's quite a lot of stuff, which we'll talk about more in our next episode. Yeah, absolutely. And you get to these questions and these situations where you have people forming emotional attachments to synths. And then in other settings, people considering the synths not to be people, to be merely machines who can be recycled when we're done with them, and who, from that point of view, who clearly don't have rights. So you get lots of of interesting questions coming up. So getting into our production notes, Humans is based on a Swedish TV series called Real Humans, which ran in 2012 and 2013. It had two seasons of 10 episodes each, and it had the same initial setup, the same basic concept of domestic robots that they referred to as Hubots. That series was created and written by Lars Lundström. Now, Channel 4 bought the rights to that series in 2014 and moved into what appeared to be their plan to be a co-production with Xbox Studios, of all things. But then that studio was wound up by Microsoft. So it ended up being a co-production for Channel 4 between Kudos Production Company in the UK and AMC in the US. And this UK version was, I guess... I don't know if we'd say adapted, let's say written for Channel 4 by Jonathan Brackley and Sam Vincent. 
a writing partnership who did a very interesting job, actually, I think. Yes, and this ran for 24 episodes in total with lots of directors, so we won't get into the individual directors too much, but they did have a good, good, solid group of TV directors working on this. The music for the series was composed by... Cristobal Tapia de Vere, and also by Sarah Warren. And it was mostly filmed on location in Kent. Now, perhaps to me, the most interesting details from the production is, of course, how you depict the synths. And we know that the actors who were to play the synths in the series had to go to what was known as synth school, which was run perhaps appropriate enough by a choreographer, Dan O'Neill. And this trained the actors in movement and in particular in how to remove what we would regard as everyday tics and mannerisms from their performances. And Gemma Chan noted in an interview that this was perhaps, in a way, a sort of direct opposition to what they normally do in their acting, where they try to remember to do those various little tics and gestures to make their performances appear real. So here they had to remove all that stuff, sort of of taking away... And we should say the synths don't move in a sort of robotic fashion, but they have this sort of calm, efficient movement style, Brian. Yeah, they really created a sort of visual language and a sort of mannerism set for how the synths would move. And then you have different groups of synths because you have the conscious synths who move a little bit differently and you have various things going on with that. So they have sort of multiple sets of movements and levels of things and built something very interesting into the visual language of this show. Indeed. And of course, you've already mentioned, Brian, the other thing is that synths have green eyes, slightly glowing green eyes. The actors wear in contact lenses, but I think there might be a little bit of digital enhancement on that as well, Brian, from the looks of it. It might have been done with lighting rather than digital work. I'm not certain, but they did make them very intense eyes that are clearly not human looking. Unless, of course, a synth character like Niska on the run wears human-like contact lenses to disguise herself as human, not synth. One of the many interesting things we'll get in this series, and we'll also talk about the reverse a little bit next time. Yes, absolutely. And the idea that they look so human that contact lenses, especially for the conscious ones, might be the only thing that's stopping them from passing as human. Series 1 of Humans was broadcast on Channel 4 starting on June 14th, 2015, and it premiered on AMC in the US at the end of June 2015. And it had a marketing campaign here in the UK that was interesting. I know they had a shop in London that you were able to go into and use a computer to design your own virtual synth. And I think this was also on the Channel 4 website as well. And also there were these adverts running on the UK version of eBay at the time, which was to 
allow you, in theory, to buy your very own synth. Of course, you couldn't, but it was part of the campaign to promote the show at its launch. Very nice. The second series was broadcast in 2016 and the third in 2018 before the show was officially cancelled in 2019. A well-reviewed show. Perhaps, you know, viewing dropped off as the seasons progressed, which is perhaps a shame. But it did win some awards. It particularly won a British Screenwriting Award for Jonathan Brackley and Sam Vincent, as well as a Design Award for the rather fun and funky title sequence designed by a company called Momoko. But it sort of gives us a rattle through history of robotics in a way in the title sequence, Brian. It does, yeah. And what that title sequence tries to establish is this idea that in the world of humans, even though it's in the present day, they've had these much more advanced developments in robotics and they've had synths for quite some time now and it's not something that is new. So it sort of gives us that in those opening titles. It is interesting and fun. We'll talk a little bit more about it perhaps when we're in our next episode. So availability of this series. Here in Region 2, you can get a DVD that combines the first two seasons for £11 with Season 3 or Humans 3.0 as it's marketed on the DVD is its own separate thing at another £10. It's also on Blu-ray if you want the more expensive option at the time of recording i've been watching the first two seasons here on the free channel 4 app here in the uk i would say that you have to sit through quite a lot of adverts when you're watching it for free on the app and then season three you still have to buy somewhere else so i went to amazon video to purchase season three where, strangely enough, only the second and third seasons are there. For £6 for the second season, £9 for the third season, which is a bit strange. But that's how I've been watching it streaming. You can, of course, pick up the DVDs for rental from the Cinema Paradiso site here in the UK. That's the combined season one and two DVD and then a separate DVD for season three. So that's the situation in region two. Plenty of straightforward options, Brian. Very good. In Region 1, there are DVD releases, which are about $20 US per series. And the Blu-ray releases, it was $40 for the first season, $15 for the second, and $37 for the third. Those are all US prices. And in Canada on Amazon, it was a mix of slightly higher prices and similar prices with a couple of cheap imports of the Region 2 release of the first two seasons. On streaming, it is available in the US for purchase on Amazon Prime, and it's also available for purchase on iTunes. And I don't remember the exact prices, but they were less than the Blu-ray price prices on high def for sure. Pretty reasonable prices, I think, on the streaming on Amazon and iTunes. Okay, so there are reasonable ways to get hold of this series in both Region 2 and Region 1, which is nice. Yeah, it's not too hard to get a hold of. 
So next time, we will discuss more about some of the ongoing plots of humans, get into a few more spoilers, and we will talk a bit about how humans could be interacting with AI and see how things evolve with humans and synths and their interactions in the second and third series. And to add to that, we might even compare the show to some other depictions of robotic or artificial life and one particular series comes to my mind which i'll be talking about next time plus of course we get to rate and review the dvd or the streaming options and give you our overall feeling about this show and whether you should be watching it absolutely until next time you can find all of our episodes at britishinvaders.com and if you search for british invaders on facebook you can find our group there and you can follow us on twitter we are at brit invaders pod yes find us on facebook and twitter and say hello and do come by the voice of geeks network where we can be found as one of the shows there that's the voice of geeks at vognetwork.com you've got some podcasts you've got some gaming content you've got streaming twitch streaming and so on come along to vognetwork.com tell them brian and Eamon sent you absolutely so thank you for listening and this is brian from canada signing off yes thank you very much for being with us until next time Eamon in england also signing off <laughs>